As we come before God's Word again, I would like to pray once again. Father, we ask that you superintend this time by your Holy Spirit. That you do above and beyond what it is that we need and what we ask for. That you would give us grace, that we would have ears to hear. Give us grace to take uh, what we hear and make it our own. And give us grace to walk in the truth that we hear this morning from your word. And we will give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to pick up in Nehemiah chapter 2 this morning and look at the first eight verses. So I will read and then we will jump right in this morning. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city of my uh, this, the city, the place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for, for the good hand of my God was upon me. This is God's word. What the church needs, as we talked about last week, is the church needs leadership. The world needs leadership. And as I spoke last week about your position, is that God has placed you uniquely where you are to lead others to Christ. And so this is a call certainly for leaders in the church, but it's also a call to you wherever it is that you may go because you have the life-saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and are called to lead wherever it is that you go to lead people in the truth of God's word and to disciple them because we are called disciple makers, right, of Jesus. And we are to teach them to observe everything that Jesus commanded. So that takes leadership. So again, this morning, the church needs godly leaders, but they need a godly leaders who will uh, prayerfully plan their course. Godly leaders who not only pray, but they plan their course. And they do so in humble submission to God, in humble submission to earthly authorities, and they do so with integrity and boldness to the praise and the glory of God alone. As I thought through this text this morning, uh, there's a lot in this text about humility. 
There's a lot in this text about integrity. And sometimes when we think about leadership and we think about the idea that a leader needs to be bold, we have a hard time wrestling in our minds. How does boldness and humility work at the same time? But we'll see this example from Nehemiah, that he was bold, he was humble, and he was honest. Samuel Logan Bringle writes this, If I appear to be great in their eyes, the Lord is most graciously helping me to see how absolutely nothing I am without him. And he's helping me to keep myself little in my own eyes. God does use me, but I am so concerned that he uses me and that it's not of me that the work gets done. He says the axe cannot boast of the trees that it cuts down. It could do nothing without the woodsman. He made it. He sharpened it. He used it. The moment he throws the axe aside, it becomes just an old piece of iron. Oh, that I may never lose sight of this. The spiritual leader of today is in all probability one who expressed his humility by working gladly and faithfully in second place. The leader of today is one who has gladly and humbly worked in second place. Faithfully, honestly, and with integrity, he worked in second place. I want us to look at 1 Peter uh, quickly in, in chapter 2 this morning because I want us to see uh, what uh, Peter talks to us about being humble and being in submission in every institution, because it, it will it will it will tie in what we see of Nehemiah and his position is a position of humility, and yet he is a bold servant and a bold leader for the people of Israel. First Peter chapter two verses thirteen through seventeen says this: Be subject to the Lord. Uh, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be emperor as supreme, or as to governor sent by him to punish those who do evil and to pray and the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. That might be a great line to tell the world today, right? Honor everyone. Be honorable. Honor them. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. See, godly leaders know something. And here's what they know. They know that the position that they hold ultimately is that of a servant. From this position of servanthood, godly leaders boldly and decisively lead others in humble submission to serve their God and to serve His purposes, and they do so with integrity of heart. And so we saw last week that, that Nehemiah prayed from the month of Kislev to the month of Nisan, four to five months. While this godly leader prayed day and night, he continued to serve his master with diligence and humility. While the godly leader prayed day and night, he diligently plans for the work that will need to be done if and when the Lord answers his prayers. You see, Nehemiah doesn't expect the Lord to unearth the stones that will rebuild the wall. 
He's not quietly cowered in a corner praying for timber to fall out of the sky so that he can rebuild the gates, so that he can rebuild this stone wall. All this time he is praying, he is also preparing for when the Lord says yes. When the Lord says yes, he's ready to go. Because he has not only prayerfully prepared, but he's he, he's prepared to work. He has planned for the work to get done. He doesn't expect that the Lord's going to unearth these stones. He knows that hard work lies ahead. Hard work lies ahead should the Lord give favor in the eyes of the king. And so therefore, he plans the work. And so before we dive into this text this morning, I want to bring us back to the end of last week's text in um, chapter 1 so that we can look at the prayer of Nehemiah in chapter 1, verse 11. He says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. So we saw from the month of Kislev to the month of Nisan, four to five months, that is from November or December to about April, here he is praying day and night for this opportunity that was to come where he would have audience with the king and tell him of his plan to rebuild Jerusalem and to rebuild God's people. God had put it in Nehemiah's heart, a desire for God's glory, as we looked at last week, and care for God's people. And this drove God, the godly leader to his knees to pray day and night for months on end. So chapter 1 ends with Nehemiah's journal entry. So some of this text reads like a, uh, like a history lesson, and some of this text reads like the, the leader's own journal entry. And that's the section that we are in, is like the, the general writing down his course of action and what took place. Because he ends this chapter with, now I was cupbearer to the king. His position. As a cupbearer, Nehemiah had daily access to the king. He was a trusted ally to the king because he would taste and inspect food and beverage for poisons just in case someone was going to try to overthrow the king. And in a lot of cases in that time, the cupbearer was given authority to rule much more than just tasting of wine and tasting of food. He would rule the whole house. He was given much more authority if he was faithful. And he would even give some, some governing responsibilities to this cupbearer. But nevertheless, the cupbearer always had to remember this, that he served at the pleasure and the discretion of the king, that the king was always the king. And he always had to remember his position as a humble servant to the king. And Nehemiah took this role very seriously. He took his role that he knew that this role was granted to him by the grace of God. That God had granted him this position. He had granted him this audience, this special favor. And that this was granted to him by his God. And so therefore, Nehemiah served his king with diligence and in the fear of the Lord and with integrity. So I ask us this this morning. Although you, each one of us answers to someone else, there's very few of us who have complete autonomy in our workplaces. Very few of us. Most of us answer to someone. And although we answer to a supervisor in our workplace and 
and to teachers in a school and to parents at home, uh, do you know that it is God who has entrusted you with the gospel of grace and He's called you to live in submission to those authorities, His authority, and those whom God has appointed over you, and to do so with integrity of heart, boldly carrying out the command to go and make disciples. And so remember, as we go this week, as we go to our workplaces, as we go about the things that God has called us to, Paul reminds us uh, concerning our earthly authorities in, in Romans 13, he says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. Be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God and avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for conscience sake. So all of that to say is to get some perspective on Nehemiah as a cupbearer and what he is about to say in his next journal entry. As chapter 2 begins, it is the continuing of this journal entry. And this reader knows his position. He ends with, now I was cupbearer to the king. And then he begins, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. The girl before the king was not a small matter, even for the guy who was there every day. It's not a small matter to go before the king. To go before the king, to show even a small bit of displeasure in serving him or in serving the kingdom could be grounds for execution. To obey the king begrudgingly or with a half-hearted effort or with apparent reservation, that could be grounds for punishment. Nehemiah reminds the audience here in his journal entry that while I was in service to the king, diligently carrying out my duties as the cupbearer, I did so with a humble heart and with a right attitude. I had not been sad in his presence. He did his work diligently and joyfully. Not with eye service. This was not faking it till he made it. This was he genuinely knew that his service was to God, that he was a servant to God, and he was going to give his very, very best to this king. Now, I'm sure that he had times when he did not agree with the king. He served him well anyway. He served him with enthusiasm of heart and with integrity anyway, even though he didn't agree with him. So I ask you guys, as a, as a servant of God, do you do your work as unto the Lord? Do you do your work according to his standard and according to his glory? Or do you sometimes do your job begrudgingly and with reservations? You see, God, godly leaders are first, last, and always humble and faithful servants. And they are diligent to serve their earthly masters without reservation and with a good attitude. You might recall Paul's words to the Ephesian church in chapter 6 when we just finished that, as he admonished the church what submission to Christ looks like in the workplace. He gives them what the right work attitude toward your earthly uh, 
authorities looks like in light of this. See, we do because we are. We don't do to get, right? And so he says, in light of who you are, in light of the spiritual blessings that you have been given in Christ Jesus, he writes this in 6, 5 and following. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. And then this last part is phenomenal and piercing. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. And Nehemiah is a shining example of good service to his king as unto the Lord and not as a man pleaser. The, the king's inquiry concerning Nehemiah's countenance brought him great fear. The king rightly read that Nehemiah was heartsick over the condition of Jerusalem and of his people. Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. The king knows my countenance. He knows my position, and I was very much afraid. Nehemiah served the king honestly and humbly and responds to the king's assessment with this. Let the king live forever. Think about what a hard time the people of Israel had gone through and where they were at. Think about the hard times that sometimes you go through and nobody seems to care and the people above you don't seem to care and then you, you think, when I finally get an audience with somebody in authority, I'm going to let them have it. Why are you sad? Nehemiah could have responded, you know why I'm sad. This is all your fault. Your decrees and your laws and your orders have put us in this position that we are today. How dare you ask me why I'm sad? He could have responded that way. But Nehemiah, being a humble leader, humble before the king, says, let the king live forever. And Nehemiah's statement here, it's genuine. This is not a man-pleasing uh, uh, statement, but this is rendering goodwill to his earthly master as unto the Lord. Good leaders serve their earthly masters, their earthly authorities, with a desire for their success. See, that's the idea here. Nehemiah is saying, let the king live forever. I know that if the king is successful, I can be successful. If my boss does well, I do well. If my boss does well, I do well. Because none of us have ever worked for a poor person. None of us has ever gone to a job and been employed by somebody who doesn't have any money. By somebody who's not doing well. Right? And it is the servant of the Lord, the humble servant of God, that when he's in his workplace, I long for my boss to do well. He does well, my family eats. That's the idea, right? If my boss does well, my family eats, and I live in peace, right? So Nehemiah here, he genuinely does want the king to prosper. Do you gently want, gen, genuinely want those in authority to succeed? 
Do you desire that your government leaders have success? Even when you disagree with them. Do you desire that your difficult employer uh, will prosper in his or her uh, business dealings? Or does your work even contribute to your boss's success? Or does your half-hearted attitude and behavior hinder their success? Does your attitude and effort in the body of Christ contribute positively to the mission of the church? Or does your attitude and effort frustrate the efforts of the leadership of the church? And does it then really delay the mission? When we look at the second half of verse 3, we see, why should I not be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Here, Nehemiah gives heartfelt honesty. Nehemiah answers the king's question concerning his downcast appearance with humble and heartfelt honesty. This same king had been petitioned years earlier in an effort to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem to stop construction. So the Samaritans had come to King Artaxerxes and asked him to stop this construction of this wall. And if Nehemiah came to him afraid in his appearance before the king, he had reason to fear about what he was about to ask for. He's getting ready to ask the king for something really amazing. He's, he's getting ready to ask the king to go against his own edict. He's getting ready to ask the king for favor when the king has already ruled on this issue. And he's, he's asking him to reverse course completely. Could you imagine the fear that would come in that position, knowing that even just a sad face could get me killed? And now I here I am before the king, and I've been given my audience, and now I have to ask him to reverse course. So here it is. Let's look at what this course was in Ezra chapter 4. I want to see what had prompted the earlier policy. I want you to see this. And why Nehemiah had to exercise humble, honest, and bold leadership in this case. In Ezra chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, is a copy of a letter that they had sent. So just back one book in a few chapters, Ezra 4, beginning in verse 11. It says, To Artaxerxes the king, your servants, the men of the province beyond the river, send greeting. And now be it known to the king that the Jews who came up from you uh, to us have gone to Jerusalem. They are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. They are finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. Now be it known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls finished, they will not pay tribute, custom, or toll, and the royal revenue will be impaired. Now because we eat the salt of the palace and it is not fitting for us to witness the king's dishonor, therefore we send and inform the king. In order that search may be made in the book of the records of your fathers, you will find in the book of the records and learn that this city is a rebellious city, hurtful to kings and provinces, and that sedition was stirred up in it from old. That's why this city was laid waste. We make known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls finished, you will then have no possession in the province beyond the river. So here's what Nehemiah is up against. He's going to ask the king to totally reverse that course. But Nehemiah, when he responds here, 
to the king. He makes it a personal matter and not a political one. See, the Samaritans had made this a political issue, right? If you need to stop this construction because these people are insurrectionists. They are going against you. They're not going to pay you tribute. They're not going to, they, they, these, this is an evil city. These are evil people. Well, Nehemiah says, why should not my face be sad when the city of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? He, take, he makes it a personal issue and not a political one. Instead of saying something like, it is your policy, king, that has led to this situation that I found in Jerusalem. And he says, I'm saddened in heart that my home lies in ruins and that the burial places of my ancestors are destroyed. See, by God's grace, Nehemiah had found favor and mercy in the sight of the king, just as he had been praying night and day for the past four to five months. And the king then responds, what are you asking of me. What are you asking? What are you requesting? And notice what Nehemiah does when the king responds. Nehemiah says, I prayed to the God of heaven. He's getting favor, right? He prays to the God of heaven before he initiates the plan. Before Nehemiah launches into the great plan, Nehemiah once again appeals to the God of heaven. Nehemiah knows that whatever he is about to endeavor to do is going to take a lot of hard work from himself and it's going to take hard work from God's people. And Nehemiah knows that if he's going to achieve success in the mission, it would only be because God's sovereign hand was upon him and upon the people. So he does what godly leaders who care about God's glory and who care about God's people do. He prays. And here are four areas of hard work that these godly leaders are to engage in. Humble prayer, number one. Number two, hatching an honest and diligent plan, that is, planning the work. Number three, implementing the plan or working the plan. Number four, trusting in and praising God for the results, right? The godly leader is, is humble in prayer, but he's, he's planning to work. He's planning to get to work should the Lord say yes. And then when he does say yes, he implements that plan. You, you, you plan the work and then you work the plan. It's just, it's a simple business model, but it is, it is the godly model of leadership here as well. And then you trust and praise the Lord for the results of that plan. So now we will look at verses five through the first part of eight and see this plan as it comes to, uh, be unfolding here. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah, the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me, to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he might give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. So Nehemiah spent four to five months. He's praying and he's planning. And I said at the outset, Nehemiah understands that the rebuilding of the wall was going to require two major things to be successful. It is going to require God's willingness, number one, and hard personal effort. That is leadership. You might recall from last week 
that talent is needed in leadership, but leaders are made and they are not born. Leaders are made by the how everything else is made, and that is made through hard work. And the only thing that is sure to disqualify you is an unwillingness to do the necessary work. Nehemiah did not expect that God would unearth stones and that he would repair the gates while he just sat around waiting on the Lord. While he prayerfully waited, Nehemiah aligned his heart with the will of God and hatched a plan for the work to get done. So when the king asked, what is it that you're requesting of me? Nehemiah was ready with an answer. Could you imagine if Nehemiah had just sat around praying and saying, God, I want to build this wall and I, I want this to come together and I want to have audience and favor with the king. And then he was granted favor and the king says, well, what do you ask? Well, I'm not really sure, but I kind of would like to do this. Well, what do you need? Well, I don't know. I haven't thought about that. Well, what kind of material are you going to need? How many men are you going to need? How long is it going to take? Well, no, I hadn't really thought that through. Well, no, when the Lord answered his prayer and gave him favor, he had a plan. He was ready to go. The work could then be launched because he had done his duty, this hard personal effort. Right? He had done this hard personal effort and he did not expect that while he prayed that this was all just going to happen, that he was aligning his heart with the Lord and then he hatched a plan to get the work done. He's ready with an answer. And he has all the logistics ready in his answer. Where? Do you need to go? Send me to Judah. Specifically clarifying the city of my fathers. Then he says, okay, what? What is it that you're going to do? Well, that I may rebuild it. And then the king asks a clarifying question. Well, how long till you return? And Nehemiah was ready with the answer for how long. And further in Nehemiah's plan, he knew the opposition. Nehemiah had figured out who the opposition was. And he asked the king, give me influence over the provinces and give me a letter to those beyond the river. He had thought about when, he had thought about where, he knew what, and he says, he's got a plan for the opposition. Give me letters that I might be able to pass through until I get all the way to Judah. And he studied and he knew what the materials were that he needed and where they were going to come from. And he asked the king for help to procure the timber. Right? As he says, send a letter. Give me a letter to Asaph that I might, he might give me the timber to build the gates. Right? So he's, he's prepared. He's, he's done all the logistics work. It has been said in the world that there are three types of people. People who make things happen. People who watch things happen, and people who wonder what happened. Right? There are people who make who 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 make things happen. There are people who sit around and watch things happen. And then there are those who sit around and go, what just happened? They have no idea. Nehemiah is a planner and a prayer. A prayer. How do you say that? A prayer. He's a prayer and a planner. And that ought to be us, right? We know that God needs to work. We know, that we know this without a doubt that God needs to work in our lives. We know without a doubt that this situation that our country is in is a mess. 
and that there's not one of us in here who can fix it unless the Lord God does so Himself. Right? We know that. We know that to be true. But we also know this, that He'll do that work through you. And you've got to get to work. And you've got to have a plan for when the Lord says yes. If the Lord says that all of a sudden that we're going to bring the Gospel to bear in the inner cities and these people are going to calm down, you better believe that those who are sent have a plan. They have a plan. And they're going to do the work. God is going to work through us, but we have to do our work. Nehemiah here exhibits three godly leadership characteristics in this passage. He exhibits humility. Godly leaders are humble servants who submit both to God and to the earthly authorities. Again, secondly, integrity. Humble leaders are honest in their pursuit of their goals. And three, he was bold. He was bold. Nehemiah boldly asked the king for time to rebuild the wall. Provision to build the wall. Removal of obstacles from the work. All the while disclosing his honest intent. Did you notice in this passage that he talked about building the gates and building the wall and he said and the house that I shall occupy he honestly says I'm going to go and build and coming back but there's going to come a time when I will go to my house I built my house I'm going to leave you forever that's an honest statement before a king and before this king he gives him his honest intent And the king granted me what I asked. For the good hand of my God was upon me. You see, Nehemiah was prepared in advance for the Lord to answer his prayers. Nehemiah's prayers aligned his plans according to the will of God. Nehemiah took bold and decisive action in prayer, bold and decisive action in planning, and the king had mercy on him. And guess who Nehemiah gave the glory to? Nehemiah gave glory to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords, to his God. And I would ask you this morning, do you have a plan for how you might make disciples of your children or your grandchildren or your co-workers, your bosses, your employees? I bet you that you pray for the souls of people that you love and care about that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sure that you do. But if he answered yes today... Have you done any work to prepare for what you might say and what you might do and how God might use you in saving them? Do you have a plan for how you might make disciples? I would say some of the work that you need to do is to understand the gospel yourself. Do you understand the life-saving gospel? Have you done the work to understand what the life-saving message consists in? I have heard some brothers and sisters in Christ sharing the gospel and it's flimsy. It lets people off the hook too quickly. It de-emphasizes the holiness and the righteousness of God. That He is the Creator and Judge. And that He is... We should be in humble submission to Him. And communicating that to those who we love. God is a terrible and awesome God. And you have committed treason against Him. 
How dare you go before the King of Kings? That God is the right creator and judge and worthy to be praised. And then further letting them know that mankind is separated from God by their sin. And that they are dead in their trespasses and they are eternally damned forever. Because they are dead and no dead person can make themselves alive. You cannot will yourselves to be alive if you are dead. Dead is dead, right? You're dead, you're dead, you're really dead. It's just like Ezekiel when he's talking to the bones, right? The bones were dead. And not only were they dead, they were really dead. And when we talk to people, they are really, really dead. We have to emphasize that you cannot save yourself, that it is a grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we tell them the great news, the great news that God sent His Son to die in your stead. God had mercy, and it was His plan in the fullness of time to send His Son to be a substitute for sin, and that this Jesus who died for you had no sin, and He died in the place of sinners, and that God raised Him from the dead after three days. And that this message, that is not, it's not only, this, that, if you stop there, you have not done anything. If you stop there, if you stop where you say that God is holy and He is the right Creator and that you are sinful and that Jesus Christ came to die for sin and you stop there, you have done nothing. You've done nothing. Because that message demands a twofold response. To repent. Turn from sin. Turn from your own righteousness and believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. And that salvation is by grace alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. You did nothing. You can do nothing to earn it. So if God said yes to your prayers right now, leaders, disciple makers, are you ready with the gospel of grace? Do you have a plan? The other thing I would ask is this. As Nehemiah planned this out, he equipped himself to overcome opposition, to overcome objections to his mission. And I would say that that is one thing that we as Christians need to learn and understand. What are the objections to our faith? And how do we overcome them? By speaking honestly and truthfully, and from a position of knowledge, right? But if we don't study and understand this stuff ourselves, you can get sidelined when some of these skeptics ask you questions if you're not prepared to answer them. You're not prepared. Well, I don't know. I don't know is not a helpful response. When you're proclaiming the gospel to somebody and they have an uh, objection, and in opposition to them, I think you all ought to well know. You ought to know. You have to have done the work to plan, to know. If this objection comes, I have an answer. Peter tells us, to every man an answer. Have an answer for the hope that is in you. Have an answer for the hope that is in you. And I think we need to investigate that. And that takes diligence in God's Word. takes diligence in prayer. And it's, it's hard work. But you, being a disciple, means that you are disciplined in Christ, a disciple of Christ, and that's your hard work. 
That's what he's called you to. So that is what the Lord has called us to this morning. I pray that the Lord would make us godly leaders, much like Nehemiah, those with humble submission to those whom God has placed over us, those who have integrity of heart in every avenue that we go, but that we would be bold in moving forward with God's plan. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for your word. Again, we need your grace to live out the truths of your scripture this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would remove anything that was a distraction this morning. Anything that was spoken that was not of your spirit, Lord. Uh, remove that from our minds. But those things that you wanted to speak to us, and may we embrace them and walk in them by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.